friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast, the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I am your host for this podcast. My co-host is Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's it's a Friday and I'm sequestered in the house as I have been all week, but kind of getting used to it. How about you? Likewise, hasn't been a whole lot of activity outside the house the past week, but excited to be speaking with you today and looking forward to kind of discussing um, how the coronavirus is affecting everyday life, but more importantly, small businesses. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's it's a little different than uh, what has typically our Small Business Matters podcast. We've been so fortunate to have great guests on each of our podcasts. And today we thought it would just be interesting for you and I to just have a conversation about what's going on as, as we find ourselves in the, in the midst of this uh, pandemic and craziness. And so a little different format today, but I think one that one I'm looking forward to and one I think that uh, our listeners will enjoy as well. Absolutely. So maybe we'll just start super easy. What have you been up to the last week and, and how has the pandemic affected your everyday life? So uh, last week I was in Memphis, Tennessee, speaking to three different Vistage groups and enjoyed my trip there. It was strange, though, because that was when you know the pandemic had just kind of hit the news, and I was on two Southwest flights that were both nearly empty. The airports were nearly empty. Vistage groups all showed up, but there was certainly a heightened sense of, of concern and also uh, a lot of uncertainty about what was going on. So it was, it was kind of a strange time. Frankly, I've been a little nervous this week, haven't traveled last week, about whether I might have caught the uh, flu, but I'm, I'm not feeling any any symptoms of it. But like most people have been doing the social distancing and been home all, all week. So in terms of you know the effect on my daily life, you know, been home all week. I've gotten outside when I can, I've you know, done one or two hikes each day gotten out and played a little bit of tennis, but very carefully, you know, keeping our distance, you know, when we're playing. I've been using uh, for my meetings, I've had, you know, a number of meetings, both one-on-one coaching, you know, which I, which I do, and then some group meetings and uh, using, you know, Zoom primarily for each of those meetings. I, I feel fortunate, Taylor, that, you know, we started the Small Business Matters Mastermind Group in early February, which is a virtual uh, peer group and using Zoom as the format for that. And so I've gotten used to using Zoom and the peculiarities with, you know, using an online tool like that for video uh, conferencing platform. So I've actually gotten, uh, I had had a little practice with Zoom prior to this week, which I think was, was really helpful. And Taylor, something else that's been interesting this week is, you know, I live in a residential neighborhood like you do, like I think many of our listeners. I've seen more of our neighbors this week than I have in a long time, because like me, they're spending a little bit of time outside and, 
you know, we're being careful not to get too close, but it's kind of been interesting, you know, seeing more people out on the streets, walking, hiking, biking. It's been an interesting dynamic. How about you? What effect has the virus had on you this week? Suffice it to say, it's been an interesting past 10 days. So I work for a small business, but a relatively probably larger small business um, here in the Kansas City area. We have about just under 200 employees. So Thursday afternoon, the the management team met and decided that immediately, uh, this was last Thursday afternoon, decided immediately that anyone who could go remote should go remote. And so for the marketing agency that I oversee and some of the other team members that I manage, uh, we packed up that Thursday afternoon um, and have been remote now for just over a week. It's certainly an interesting time um, on a number of different levels, and we'll we'll get to some of the the business-related aspects of this in a minute. But as a manager, taking on a very different mindset this week in terms of expectations of employees and accountability. For one, our team at least, no one has worked remote for more than a day or two at a time with their tenure in our company. So going basically permanently remote has been a significant change. Something as simple as, you know, having to set up a workstation, having to use uh, a video chat uh, like Zoom for all of your calls and meetings, Um, For some of our employees that have children, having to not only do their job, but babysit or be the teacher or be the the cook. I mean, it's it's a lot of hats to wear. So it's it's certainly been kind of a learning experience and and one in which having to balance. We still have to get some some jobs done and and do work with the people aspect of everyone's going through a very challenging time right now. And I think expectations uh, just shifted in terms of what to expect from, from people in general. So interesting is probably the, the word that comes to mind. Disruptive is another one. And I think if I look at the, the spectrum, I, I feel relatively lucky that uh, for the most part, this is not causing huge negativity or a huge impact on my life. So Outside of the fact that I don't drive to work and I have to be you know, a little bit more cautious going to the grocery store, I do still have a job, have plenty of food in the fridge, and other than just being kind of bored, <laughs> have not really felt the economic impact that others have. And so especially for our listeners, I think perspective is, is one thing that we can all hopefully share and that um, as challenging as this all is, it could be a lot worse depending on your job, depending on where you live, um, depending on your socioeconomic status. So I try to try to remember that as uh, the hiccups and, and challenges come up throughout the day. Well, you know, Taylor, I've, I've spent a good amount of time this week talking to just a lot of different people, clients, you know, small business owners. And it's been interesting, different things that, that I've been hearing you know, from those small businesses. And I've been trying to make as many kind of mental notes as I possibly can. And, you know, if I were to highlight those conversations, you know, a couple of things come come to mind. One is the the abundance of uncertainty 
that small business owners and leaders are feeling. And, you know, that's not unusual for a small business owner to be dealing with a certain amount of uncertainty. You know, what, what, what are our sales going to be next month and how are we going to find new employees and do we have enough capital to, to fund our growth? You know, there's always that, that bit of uncertainty and some, some people and specifically business owners deal better with that uncertainty than others. But I think it's a, it's an important trait of successful business owners that they're able to cope with a certain amount of uncertainty. But, but boy, I don't know that we've ever faced this much uncertainty in our lives, you know, uncertainty around, you know, the extent of the situation that we find ourselves with the coronavirus. Is it going to be two weeks or two months or two years that we're going to be, you know, dealing with this uncertainty around the impact on our employees, on, on family members, and such. So uh, I think the uncertainty has been really tough. Taylor, the other thing that's been interesting is there are really two big concerns that business owners are dealing with. One is around the virus. And again, the extent of that, the impact on employees. So the concern about the, the, the virus itself. And then the second one is the, um, the concern about the economy. You know, we've seen the stock market take a big hit in the last week, week and a half. For some companies, I'm finding it, the, uh, the, the economic impact is, has been very difficult. They're already seeing significant drops in, in revenue and activity and, and such. Other companies, strange as it might seem, you know, maybe are flourishing with what's going on. You know, one of, one of my clients is a bail bonding business here in Atlanta and talking to their management team yesterday, business is really good. Apparently crime is maybe picking up a little bit. And it's interesting to see what impact this is having, what type of impact it's having on different businesses, depending on what what industry they're in, what business that they're in. The two questions that I've been asking of my clients, just to get them thinking about what's going on. Number one, you know, what's worst case? What's the worst case scenario for your business? If this pandemic flu is as bad as we think it could be, if the economy is as bad as we think it could get, what's the worst case scenario? And while that might be difficult to consider, I think it's important to, to at least imagine what that might look like. So that's number one, what's worst case? And the second one has been even has been equally interesting, Taylor, is I've asked, so where's the opportunity here? Where's the opportunity for your business in, in what's going on? And while it's it's hard to immediately imagine that there's any opportunity for a, a business, particularly a small business, when business owners start thinking about it, I've yet to have a person that I've posed that question to that's not been able to come up with at least one opportunity that, hey, you know, while everything's bad, this could happen, or this is something that I could pursue, at least some opportunity in what it seems like a, a, a dark sky, there's, there's at least some opportunity, it seems like, for every business owner. And so maybe that's where, you know, we need to be not consumed, but at least asking ourselves, one, what's worst case scenario, and two, where's, where's the opportunity? So I know you're you're talking to different people as as well. What are some of the things that you're hearing? Well, similar to what you stated, and I think uncertainty is probably the 
the biggest thing. And what I'm finding already is that the clients and advertisers and both business and nonprofit associations that we work with are putting everything on hold. Mm -hmm. So they're holding on to cash, they're holding their marketing plans, and they're just seeing how things shake out. And I can't say I blame them because things are changing so quickly. And we've gone from a, in a week's time span to everyday life was going on basically untouched to the state of California has mandated a stay at home policy. Mm -hmm. So as a business, I'm not sure how aggressive you can be at this point when tomorrow it could be a very different landscape. But like you, I've, I've really tried to think not only for the company I work for, but for our clients is where is that opportunity from a marketing and even from a business perspective right now, I'm not sure it's responsible to try to commercialize any sort of opportunity because the last thing people want, um, an ambulance chaser or, you know, somebody that is looking to, to benefit off of the pandemic. So I do think you have to be very careful in terms of how you approach those types of opportunities and, and how you position that as value for your audience or value for your community. So I've seen a lot of businesses just this week that I think probably astutely realize, um, for instance, we're a marketing agency mm -hmm. and we're looking at our pipeline right now and it's it's not as full as we'd like it to be. And we haven't gotten sort of the, the conversation the past couple of weeks that we would like. And it's directly related to what's going on in the world. So for us, we can either sit back and have a little bit more bandwidth and see how things shake out. Or what we're trying to do more of is figure out ways where we can provide pro bono services, mm -hmm. or we can do things at a, a deep discount to at least help our clients or help people within our local community that are really taking the burden of that. And that's where I think that the businesses can find those opportunities where they're, they're looking at that as a marketing opportunity rather than a business opportunity. Sure. And they're trying to add value through their services in hopes of, again, maybe getting um, some recognition or publicity or, you know, just doing what's right. And that hopefully that that will improve kind of the brand perception or their brand value. And so when things do start to normalize, they have some of that goodwill, some of that, that recognition that they can then commercialize down the road. Mm -hmm. But again, everything has been moving so quickly. It's, it's, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, here's the macro view of everything that's going on. And here's our, our recipe for what, what our listeners should be doing. I do think a, a, a balanced and sort of um, conservative approach and really just evaluating each and every day and then taking it day by day is, is probably the best advice I could probably give at this point. Well, and give you two examples of, of opportunities. So one, I mentioned the bail bonding business. They're now looking at the possibility of having to digitize much of their processes and working with clients where, you know, previously it was mostly in-person, you know, dealing with filling out forms. Now they're looking at digitizing that. And they've kind of known that was the right direction to go, but now they may actually get kind of forced to do that. And that could be an opportunity for them because it, it certainly could be more more efficient working that way. You know, the the other opportunity, I had a, a client 
who, well, just in terms of, you know, employees working remote. And, you know, a lot of companies have toyed with the idea of having employees work remote. And some companies are, are doing, there's been a movement in that direction. But now companies, they've almost been forced into having employees work remote. They've had to figure out the, the procedures for doing that, te- the technology for doing that. And some companies finding, hey, this isn't so bad. And some companies finding, you know, maybe this isn't working so well. But, but there's an opportunity at least to be able to test drive that to see how it fits into every different business model. So just a couple of examples of, of opportunity there. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of one thing I want to touch on now is so we've, okay, we've covered where are we today and how it's affected our lives. But I listened to a really interesting podcast yesterday on Freakonomics Radio that took a very kind of wide view of the pandemic and really didn't focus focus much on the right here and right now, but what are the ripple effects? Hmm. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about those ripple effects and as they relate to businesses and, and society at a whole. And the first is is working from home. So I know I've I've encountered businesses, read about businesses that have always been a little weary of work from home policy. And it was more of almost an insurance policy than a proactive policy. So if you were sick or if you had a doctor's appointment or if it was a snow day, then there was leniency on working from home. But businesses weren't set up to do that. More more than likely, they didn't like the idea of everyone working remotely. And all of a sudden, we've been forced into that model. And I think the cat's kind of out of the bag now. So I think for businesses now is the perfect time to kind of measure the, the productivity and efficiency of the working from home model. And I'm not saying this week's the best week to do that, because like I said, I think there's so many distractions and changes going on. I would be surprised if productivity was up across the board in any, any sector. But over the course of the next few months, as this becomes the new reality, I think businesses would be wise to see is working from home you know, a better use of everyone's time and energy rather than requiring um, everyone to come in the office every day. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of a, a two-part, two-part thought there. One is, again, the cat's out of the bag. So saying that you can't work remotely for long periods of time or it won't work, um, I think that theory is going to be proven uh, false here pretty quickly because mm-hmm. we have to do it. There's, there's yep. no choice. The second part is, is businesses should be measuring how it's impacting their business. And again, in terms of an opportunity, you know, maybe it, it's it's working better than people being in the office. Um, maybe you don't need that expensive high-rise office building in downtown Atlanta. I don't know. Those are those are assumptions at this point. But I think business leaders uh, would be wise to start uh, measuring work from home and and just how it affects uh, their business on a on a macro and micro level. Taylor, I, I really find what you shared with our listeners interesting. I just finished reading a, a Marcus Buckingham's latest book, Nine Lies at Work. And, you know, companies have been experimenting with allowing employees to work from home. Some very big, very big companies and consulting firms. And what they have found is that while there's certainly some benefits, some companies are now, instead of allowing employees to work completely from home, they're pulling them back for some period of time because they found 
not that individual productivity was impacted because in some cases people are actually producing more on average. They're, they're more productive working from home. But it was the impact on corporate culture that was getting impacted as more people were separated from the office. So the, the impact on, on the culture and also the impact on, on collaboration, you know, when employees need to work together, harder to do that if they're working separately. Mm-hmm. So companies then decided, okay, we don't want people to, to work from home all the time, but maybe a couple days a week and a couple days a week we want them in the office to leverage the collaborative efforts that take place when you and I are, are in the same building and in the, in the same office. And then this, this book, Buckingham's book, points out that you know employees, when they leave their job, when they leave a company, they don't actually leave the company, they leave their team. And the research is overwhelming the importance of, of being on a team in terms of employee engagement, that fewer than 20% of employees today report feeling engaged in their work. Engaged mean they really like what they're doing and, and, and how they're doing it and the people that they're doing it with. And what they find is what, what maybe the biggest impact on engagement is, is feeling like I'm part of a team, a contributor to a team. The most productive employees uh, are on a minimum of five different teams within their, their corporate existence. And so if I'm working from home, what impact does that have on my role within that team? You know, I, I can certainly do my own thing individually, but is it possible for a team to exist if all of its members are separated? And I think that's what companies are wrestling with now is not so much the impact on individual productivity, but what impact does this have on organizational culture? What impact does this have on teams being able to work together to collaborate successfully. I think that's the unknown when it comes from people working remote. And that's a great point because, again, I think about it from my perspective at a marketing agency, our good work is is collaborative. And anyone who's studied the creative process knows that it's not efficient, it's not always even productive, but that the best quality from a creative standpoint comes from iterating and having conversations and providing criticism. And that sort of um, imperfect process, uh, I think is really tough to achieve remotely. So, you know, I play devil's advocate because I see the advantages of working from home and I've seen the studies from certain companies. At the same time, I know when I'm working with designers or copywriters, it's very difficult to share ideas through a, a Zoom call or uh, provide criticism through email sometimes without you know, writing a, a four-page letter on the context of the feedback. So again, I, I do think that the team approach, as you've said, is a great point in terms of individual performance might not fall off that much. But again, the creative process is typically at best when there is iterating and imperfections, and I think that's difficult to achieve through some of the, the digital channels that we're currently using. So the, the next topic I kind of wanted to tackle was, was social distancing. And again, I think we're all sort of getting used to it at this point, having been a week or two into it. And I can tell you for me, I usually keep a pretty typical routine, but this is certainly whittled down the routine 
to a very, very simple format to where, you know, I get up my normal 5 a.m. hour, I get some coffee, I go for a walk or stretch, I do a little work, and then it's a, it's a pretty normal work day from there. But it's interesting, like you said, obviously, people are, are staying within their neighborhoods, so there's more people out walking in the neighborhood or biking. But I'm just curious from your perspective, social distancing, how does that affect people? How does that affect businesses? And, and what are maybe the, the, the ramifications of having to do this for six months, let's say? Well, I, you know, I think back to you know, a core human need is to feel connected. And what causes people to get sick, what causes people to get stressed, what ultimately sometimes causes people to do bad things is when they feel disconnected, disconnected from their family, disconnected from their friends, disconnected from their work colleagues. So while social distancing in today's world, tomorrow's world is, I think, absolutely critical if we're going to beat this thing. It is going to have, there are going to be some negative, I think, ramifications from it. And it's been, Taylor, it's been interesting this week that I've, I've gotten a couple phone calls from people that I, I would not have expected phone calls from, clients, colleagues, just reaching out, just checking in. Hey, how are you doing? How can I help? And, and I've been doing some of those same calls myself. And these are calls that I probably would have not made two weeks ago or four weeks ago. So I think, you know, in in one way, you know, it's a human requirement that we've got to feel connected and we're going to find different ways to do that. Now that we're getting disconnected, we're now you know looking for different ways of, of, of remaining connected as much as possible, different ways of doing that. So. You know, can I do that on a Zoom call? Yeah, uh, to some degree of, you know, video call, video call, not like being with the person that I'd, you know, rather be sitting across, a, you know, a table at a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks. So I think I think people are just human nature are going to find ways to stay connected. It'll be interesting to see how this how this plays out. What do you think? One thing I'm nervous about is, I think as a society, and especially younger generations, have already, I don't want want to call it social distancing, but they've replaced in-person conversations or even telephone calls with text messaging and social media. I think there is a sense of less personal contact and more digital contact, again, especially within younger generations. So one worry I have is that this sort of elevates that that phenomenon in terms of now we're forced to use more digital tools. Mm-hmm. And so whereas before, you know, maybe we would meet in person or have a telephone call. Now it's just easier to, to send a text message. And so I'm curious if our reliance on, on more digital tools over the short term, uh, again, cr- creates this increasing effect of less desire. Maybe that's the best word, less desire of uh, social contact or physical contact um, after this. So it's something I don't have any studies or or anything to show that that's the case, but more of a curiosity of, of, again, that's where the trend was going in terms of Mm -hmm. using digital tools to communicate. Now we're forced to do it. So does that make it even, even worse down the road? 
Well, I think in the next week, two weeks, we'll have better answers to, to both of those. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, I do think it's been interesting from a technology standpoint to take a step back and, and see where we are. So sort of like remote working, I think most businesses have some sort of conference call platform, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or Microsoft Teams. Those things were in place, and I think they were used as needed, whereas now, again, we're fully reliant on them to go about our, our normal lives. One thing I've noticed just from, from my perspective, my job, is that not all companies were ready to go fully remote or had the technology in place to support this sort of working environment. Now we've been forced into it, and I think very quickly we've gotten up to speed. But I'm, I'm curious from your vantage point, do you think businesses will will continue to move in this direction even after the pandemic in terms of we have to have the technology in place to support different working styles? Or is this something that is more of a, a holding pattern? Well, I think, you know, as, as people get uh, com- more comfortable with this technology faster, as we all have just this week, it's going to become more common for companies of all size to be using this. And I also think that you know what we're using now is is kind of like phase one of this technology, and that it's going to get better. And, and I wish I was smart enough about it to be able to tell you what that looks like. But my sense is that the technology is we're in such early stage of video conferencing that the technology is going to get better faster. And what we're using today, like you said, whether it's, it's Zoom, it's Google, it's Microsoft, we're going to look back in a couple months and say, wow, that's, that's old fashioned. I can't believe we mm-hmm. used that, that we're going to, it's going to get replaced by something that we, maybe we can't even imagine that it's easier to use, that's maybe more sociable, doesn't feel as awkward. I just think we're in the early stages of this technology and it's going to be interesting to see what comes next. That's a great point. I think, as the old saying goes, disruption spurs innovation. And Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I think we'll probably look back on this a few months, a year from now. uh, And I think you're right. The technology will will certainly look different. I want to move on, though, to maybe a more more actionable conversation. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's so early in the, the process to be given out recipes for success but I am curious to pick your brain on, on what business leaders can be doing now to help with this disruption. So Taylor, in the conversations that I'm having with, with my clients, colleagues this week, there are three things that I'm stressing. Number one, and this is relevant to what is going to be, I think, a down economy, whether it's a recession or whatever we want to call it, it's going to be a down economy. And the first thing is to, to hoard cash. We want to really be careful about uh, the expenditures that we've got. We want whatever cash we've got, we want to be able to hang on to and, and maybe grow. So if that means you know speeding up collections from our clients, if that means you know cutting back on expenditures, I think we want to build our cash reserves, protect and build our cash reserves as much as possible. 
and for two reasons. Number one, it's it's uh, it's about staying in the game, and the quickest way to to exit the game is to run out of cash. It's game over for any small business that runs out of cash. So we want to prevent that from happening. Secondly, and I think equally important is you know when we come out of this, and, and we will in terms of a down economy, I want my clients to be buyers and not sellers. I want them to have the cash to be able to acquire things that on a price basis are going to be less expensive, in some cases far less expensive than they would be otherwise. Whether it's acquiring clients, whether it's acquiring assets, equipment, machinery, whether it's it's acquiring talent, I want to make sure that when the time is right, that my clients have got the cash to be able to take advantage of a down market. I want them to be buyers versus sellers. So that's number one, is we've got to be able to manage cash really well. Secondly is is marketing. Typically what the experts have found is that the less opportune time to do marketing is in a good economy because that's when everyone else is optimizing their marketing in a, in a good economy. So there's an awful lot of noise in terms of marketing in a strong economy. Likewise, maybe the best time to do marketing, the most uh, efficient and effective time is in a down economy because most people in a down economy choose to cut back on their marketing, if, if not stop their marketing, which is very unfortunate. Now is the time, I think, to actually accelerate marketing efforts in a down economy and maybe not the, the marketing efforts that you've done before, because that may not work in a down economy. But I think it's important at the very least that your customers know that you're still in business. That's one thing I think many companies think about is, well, is, is Tim still in business? Is he going to make it through this recession? And so part of the marketing effort is, is, just, is just communicating to the market, hey, I'm still here. We're still in business. We're still doing the stuff that we were doing before. How can I help? How can I be of service? And so we want to continue to invest in our marketing. Again, it may not be the same marketing that we did before, different messaging, different means, but we don't want to stop marketing now. And again, fewer people are marketing, so now more likely the people are going to hear my message than, than they might have before. So number one, it's hoarding, it's managing our cash. Number two, we want to maintain our marketing efforts. And the third thing, Taylor, that I think is is just as important as number one and two is we've got to stay healthy. And, and I say that in two different ways. Uh, one, physical health. This is a very stressful time. And whether you feel it or not, your body is, is under a lot of stress because of what's going on. And so, as you said, you know, you've been outside, you've been going for runs. I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm walking in the morning. I'm now walking in the afternoon, trying to get exercise. So physically, I know my health is really important because primarily because of the, the stress that we're all feeling. Mental health is also really important, Taylor, I think, at this time that we're in, that I stay healthy mentally and socially. And so it's it's doing things like, you know, I'm, and I think you do this as well, I, I, I journal every morning, and I find that is really helpful in terms of my 
mental health. I'm taking breaks during the day, frequently just getting up, walking outside, reading the newspaper, working a crossword puzzle. I got a jigsaw puzzle, 2,000 pieces, Taylor. How did I get a puzzle with 2,000 pieces? I'm working on the the jigsaw puzzle because I know my mental health is really important right now. Staying, Staying positive about you know, the world and, 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 you know, just connecting with friends, laughing. I tell the story that, uh, my youngest son's now, uh, working from home here and he was watching a TV show this week that I've never, I've heard of it. Curb your enthusiasm, uh, with Larry David. And I'd never watched the show before. And so I'm watching this, this show and I'm laughing out loud. It, it's just, uh, it's a very funny show. And I felt really good laughing the way I was, because it was impacting my mental health. So Taylor, I think those are the three most important things that I want to suggest is one, manage cash very carefully. Two, continue with your marketing efforts. Talk to a marketing expert. Find someone that can help you in terms of what's going to be the best marketing plan moving forward. And three, we've got to stay healthy. Do those resonate with you? I thought all those points were, were great advice for our listeners, really any small business owner or, or somebody dealing with this pandemic. The one that I would add from a, a management standpoint is, again, because we are separated physically from our teams, is that communication and, and transparency are more important now than ever. And one thing that the, the Freakonomics podcast mentioned that I thought was great advice is that managers might spend two, three, four hours of their day just on calls with their employees, checking in, seeing how they're doing, what they're working on. And and again, that is that is in lieu of being able to go by their cubicle and, and say hi, or having a one-on-one meeting to talk about performance. So I think, again, that the communication has to be top of mind for, for any management or leader and and then again, transparency. So I think everyone is reading the headlines. They're seeing small businesses, restaurants, coffee shops, bakeries shut down because of this, this pandemic. And they're seeing that other industries are going to be affected and furloughs or, or layoffs could be on the horizon. So I think the worst thing you can do when people are already in isolation is keep information from them or think you're doing them a favor by not being honest. And so at this time, I think it's, it's just more important than ever to, to be transparent and, and let people know what the plan is. That's a great one. I'm going to add that to my list. Thank you for sharing that. I want to wrap up our podcast today um, with kind of a preview of the newsletter article that will go out later this month. And when, when I was very little, we lived in Miami and in 1992, experienced Hurricane Andrew. And I know that that certainly shaped you as not only an an individual, but as a a business owner. And so I was curious if you could just kind of share some of your thoughts and takeaways from going through such a difficult experience like Hurricane Andrew. Yeah. Taylor, it was interesting. I was looking for a topic to write an article for the uh, Small Business Managers Newsletter this week and thinking, okay, so what can I suggest? What can I, you know, provide to, to the readers? And I thought back to the only other natural disaster that I've 
had to live through. It's hard to imagine that I might have to live through two in one lifetime. But the only one before was was Hurricane Andrew. You know, we lived in South Miami and Homestead in 1992 when Hurricane Andrew went through. And it was it was devastating. You know, it was a Category 5 hurricane, uh, winds exceeding 145 miles per hour. Up, up to that point, it was the most costly weather disaster in the history of our country. Over $25 billion in damages in South Florida. 15 people were killed just in Miami-Dade County. 25,000 homes were destroyed. Over another 100,000 uh, had serious damage. Almost 200,000 people were left homeless as a result. So it is a terrible, terrible disaster. And we, we lived through that. You were, I think, four at the time. And 10 years after Hurricane Andrew was the first time that I really felt comfortable sitting down and thinking, okay, what were the lessons? What did I learn as a result of that disaster? And as I looked at those, those lessons, I thought those are as applicable today as they were in 1992 and Hurricane Andrew hit in 2002, 10 years after. And so that's why I chose to to republish that article this week because I, I, not much has changed in terms of how to survive a, a natural disaster. And so the, the first lesson was, you know, carefully pick your business partners. I, I was lucky that, you know, I had a, a great CPA that helped us after the hurricane. My banker was very fortunate. The attorney that we had was right there with us the whole way. And also remember I had a, the landlord of our building was the opposite. We really had a problem with our landlord. And so it reminded me how the importance of having good partners both in good times and in bad. You know, the second lesson, Taylor, was the importance of customer loyalty. You know, we were operating our travel agency out of a, um, a storage facility, out of a, a trailer, and not conducive to, you know, great customer service and not a place that customers even wanted to come see us, I don't think. But they did. You know, the, our, our customers overcame whatever they were facing, and, and some of them just came to visit, some of them came to do business, and reminded of the importance of customer loyalty, not satisfied customers, because satisfied customers we never would have heard from after the hurricane. But it was those loyal customers that stayed with us for, for years afterwards. And it, it reinforced for me the importance of having loyal customers and, and why that extra effort is, is so important. The third thing we found in addition to customer loyalty was the importance of employee loyalty that, you know, after that hurricane, every single one of our employees came back literally days after the hurricane and said, how can I help? What can I do? Where can I be of service? And I remember just being amazed by the, the, the loyalty of our employees and, and humbled by their loyalty as well. And so this is a pretty good test as it is now for companies the importance of having engaged, loyal employees and all those investments that companies have made in the last year, five years in building a loyal labor force are going to pay off big ways uh, moving forward. And then the last lesson that, that I shared, this came from a story, Taylor, that just a couple days after the hurricane, I was out walking our neighborhood, which had just been devastated and just taken in all that happened. And it just happened, ran into a, a good friend and a neighbor. And we engaged in conversation, you know, how's, how's your family? How's your house? How's the business? 
And, you know, we were both sharing the losses that we had incurred. And after we had done that, my friend said something that has stayed with me forever. And he said, Tim, you know, at the at the end of the game, referencing like a, a Monopoly game, a, a board game, at the end of the game, all the pieces go back into the box. So it's easy, I know, for me to, to be worrying about my business and worrying about my house and worrying about my IRA, my 401k, my SEP, my investments. And yet, again, I'm reminded that at the end of the game, at the end of my game, the end of your game, all the pieces go back into the box. And to me, that was such a powerful statement, and it's one that I've stayed with me. And maybe if there's anything that I want our listeners today to take away, it's just that, that simple thought that life is, to some degree, life is a game. And we start off with, with one or two pieces, and we gather some additional pieces. And then at the end of the game, all the, all the pieces go back into the box. So maybe not so important to worry about how many pieces we have at this moment, but as you said, more important to worry about our friends, our neighbors, our family, and what can we do to make their lives just a little bit better? Very impactful. So Taylor, that boy, time as usual, just flown by whenever you and I do this podcast. And this was a little different format today. I hope our, our listeners have enjoyed the time that you've spent with us, kind of feel like we're just hanging out over a coffee table, talking about business and talking about life. Any closing words for our listeners? I think I would just end with that we're all in this together. And certainly we've shared some thoughts and ideas and suggestions. But again, this is a major disruption. And, and I'm sure that things will change over the course of weeks and months. But I'm sure I can speak for, for my dad that if there's anything we can do, even if it's just someone to talk to or have a, have a remote happy hour with, uh, we would love to love to be there. Yeah, you're exactly right. Friends, thank you for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. Thank you. Thank you.